Good morning, Calvary Church family, and welcome to Calvary Church Visual Edition yet again at the end of April. Uh, two real quick housekeeping things. One, we are trying to tweak our audio and video qualities as best we can. So if, you have, um, if you're having any troubles, please do email me and we'll see if we can't work on some of those challenges that we're facing. And secondly, as Lori mentioned, next week we are having communion at the end of the service. Again, that will be virtual. Uh, so no matter what kind of juice you have at home or bread or cracker, use that and God's going to be honored because it's our heart that matters in this, not exactly what size piece of cracker or size uh, juice that you might have. Anything that you're going to have at home is going to be 100% fine. Uh, so as we're working into this sermon and as we're looking over the next couple weeks, uh, this general theme of how to take lemons and make lemonade, how to take those challenging times in our lives and see fruit from it, have it be productive. And last week we saw from Romans chapter 5 that in the midst of trials, whatever those might be, spiritual, physical, emotional trials, that God wants us to work on our character. That it is our character that matters during these moments of frustration. When the world is about to, to run around like a chicken with its head cut off, how are we to act as believers, as people in this family of God that is surrounded by His peace and His righteousness, His power and His promises, how do we respond? And God says, this is all designed to give you hope work on your character, to persevere in that character, to rely on me. And in the end, there is this hope that is intangible. There is this comfort that is surrounding. And God says that's the goal. So you take these trials and something beautiful flows from it. And this week we're looking at a rather famous text and I want to start by quoting from Corey Ten Boom. Now, if you do not know who uh, Corey is, uh, she is, was a wonderful saint of the Lord. And during World War II, she was a young child living in the Netherlands. And her father and grandfather and her entire family were watchmakers. They made watches for a living and had for a couple generations in that town. And when the Nazis came in and began to persecute uh, the Jews in particular, but also Christians, they became a safe haven. They made special rooms and false walls and hid people from the Nazis. And eventually, the Nazi regime caught up with them. And they were found out to be harboring and saving and transporting Jews. And they were thrown, the entire family, thrown into a concentration camp. And through that entire process, the family did not lose faith. The parents did not lose their faith. The children did not lose their faith. And she came out of that experience as a stronger Christian. They all did. As individuals who stood for their faith in, in opposition that called for life and death measures. She became a, a rather famous Christian author and speaker and spent the rest of her life communicating the need to love your enemies, the need to stand upon truth, and the need to turn to Jesus 
for comfort in this life. There is no other lasting comfort than Jesus as our shepherd. And she said we should never be afraid to trust an unknown future. In fact, I think that is absolutely backwards. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Our God is known by us. And the future is so uncertain that we should never be afraid of an unknown future because we serve and are surrounded by a God who knows the future. So the unknown future, what lies tomorrow? It doesn't matter. Because we know that we are surrounded by a God who does know the future. And if we trust him for our salvation, we can trust him for tomorrow. How appropriate for our day, (laughs) the days that we live in, the times that God has appointed us to live in. And so I want us to be encouraged about this God who knows the future and holds us near and dear from Psalm 23. And this is a psalm that you may have memorized as a kid, that you may hear every time that there's a funeral. And it's an important psalm. It's a memorable psalm because it is so packed with great descriptions of how God loves each of us and how he provides, protects, oversees, and takes us through the unknown, scary moments, only to see a bright, heavenly future in store for us. So he starts out in the very first three verses of Psalm 23, and let me read those. God leads and provides, I follow and flourish. And here's what he has to say. This is David. The Lord is my shepherd. That is the triune God, Jehovah, the God of covenant promises, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is my shepherd. And Jesus says more than once, I am that good shepherd. And so everyone that heard Jesus talk about shepherd illustrations immediately went to Psalm 23. In fact, if I didn't even mention Psalm 23 and I said shepherd in Scripture, most of you would be thinking, oh, Psalm 23. So he starts out, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I may not have everything I want or my neighbor has, but I lack nothing because the Lord, Jesus, is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Those three verses talk about God's leading and God's providing, and then our following and our flourishing. God leads, I follow. God provides, I end up flourishing. Look at the language he uses here. I lack nothing, and he makes me lie down in green pastures. I've never done this but the movies make it look so wonderful and beautiful when there is this green mountainside filled with tall, lush grass and the sun is beaming down and the birds are chirping and the butterflies are fluttering and you think to yourself, I could just lay down in this field on this gentle sloping hill and look at God's creation and what a beautiful, restful place it is. And God says, that's what I provide for you. 
I provide for you a restful place in me. As I shepherd you, as I lead you and guide you, know that I am leading you and guiding you in a place of protection, a place of comfort, a place of absolute tranquil rest. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean I don't have to face hardships. I'm not ignoring them. But I'm taken to that place where God has promised in the midst of all this, when the world is running around, around crazy, when the world is trying to figure out what tomorrow is, we can be like that person resting on that sweet, green, lush hillside, not giving a worry or anxiety or fear about the future. I'm not ignoring the future, but I'm not letting the unknown future dictate how I live. I'm letting my shepherd dictate how I live. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, a couple weeks back, I'm doing this real short little video series called Great Thoughts, uh, Great Thoughts About God, Great Living for Him, and I talked about this illustration a couple weeks ago about what it's like maybe to kind of have a shepherd figure in your life. And I know this is going to sound really silly, but I was... Um, uh, running to the store a couple months back, and uh, anytime you grab your keys at home, our dog Rosie goes crazy because she wants to get in the car and go with you. It doesn't matter if you're going to the post office, you're going to the store, whatever. She, she loves it. And so we kind of do that every now and again when we were taking the kids back and forth to school. Rosie would always jump in the car. So uh, for whatever reason, I needed to drop something off at the post office and grab my keys, Rosie runs to the door, meets me, I take her in the car, we go to the post office, real quick and simple, and then I realize, you know what, maybe I need to go get a car wash real quick. So I'm right there, I go to the car wash, and Rosie's in the back seat, terrified. She is shaking. Uh, and I realize that going into this car wash, which doesn't scare me one bit, is terrifying, passenger in the back seat. Poor Rosie. And I turned to her, because it's all automatic, it's, you know, the car's just going through it. I turned to her and I comfort her and I, I put my hand on her and I try to pet her and I try to reassure her in that, that just comforting voice, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. She really never calmed down until we got through the car wash. And then she was, you know, bouncing up and down, wanting to sniff out the window once I rolled it down again. But all through that scary trial for her, I tried my best to comfort her. And she just didn't want anything to do with it. She'd look at me, her ears were back, I knew she was scared, I knew it was only going to be for a moment, and then when we got through it, she was fine. God is our shepherd. Through those scary tunnel moments, saying, I've got you in my hands. I've got you. I've got you. I have you. Don't worry. We're protected. It can't get in, get in to get you. Just like the water couldn't get into the car, those trials can't get in and hurt you. You only start focusing on the outside scary moments when you take your eyes off the shepherd. And God says, I will lead you. I will provide for you. You follow and you will flourish. And this flourishing is amazing. 
He brings me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. See, the entire time, God is saying, my reputation is on the line in how I lead and guide you. My future is on the line with leading and guiding you because I have promised you as a people and as individuals to be my son's bride, the church, glorious and victorious, the church. And so he's going to lead us and guide us because his name's at stake. His name is on display in your lives to the world around us. This is kind of opposite of what we're told as Americans. This is opposite. Because we've been told, we've been, we've been encouraged, and we've seen examples time and time again in our culture and our society that we are the ones who are supposed to take the bull by the horns, that we're the ones who are supposed to get up and go, that we're the ones who are supposed to tackle the world's problems. And while, yes, we should be engaged in taking the gospel to address the world's problems, we're not responsible for taking the bull by the horns. We're not responsible for destroying the car wash, the troubles, the problems of this life. It's very much a hands-off approach, saying, Lord, I'll fulfill my responsibilities, but the worry, the anxiety, the fear, the fretting, that's not mine. I'm protected from that. Ultimately, you are protected from the troubles and pains of the future. God has you. God has you. And he has you all the time. God also protects and corrects us. And when he does, we are then at peace. The very next verse, Psalm 23, verse 4, says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, David is a person of reality. He knows that the Christian life, the life of a believer, the life of one who follows God, who hopes in Jesus, is not free from difficulties. He admits and realizes, I will walk through dark moments. I will walk through scary moments. I will be put through the car wash. I will see pain. I will experience hardships. I will experience an unknown future. But even though I walk through that, even though I experience it, even though it is real, something happens. God comes along and reminds us there's no fear in this. There's no moment where I have to throw up my hands and say, I give up! There's no moments where you have to take to terrible thoughts. There's no moments where you have to take the bull by the horns. There's only the moment that I have to realize I don't have to fear the valleys and shadows of darkness. Why? 
for you are with me. You are with me. And proof of God being with us is his rod and his staff, they comfort us. I have zero first-hand experiencing shepherding sheep. I can shepherd kids, you know, kind of get them in one spot and move them to another spot, usually without anyone getting hurt or crying. But my understanding from reading and studying and listening to people who are shepherds, old school shepherding had two kind of things with them. They had a rod and a staff. That staff is that kind of curly thing that you usually see Jesus holding in his pictures about being a good shepherd. And the rod was just sort of basically like a club. And they had two different purposes. The club was used for two purposes. One, to actually be that last line of defense against a wolf or a stray dog or a coyote or something that wanted to harm the sheep. It was this bludgeoning club. And the staff, the second thing, was more or less used to poke and move the sheep along in the right direction. Sometimes it had a crook which was allowed to kind of just grab a sheep from something dangerous and pull it back into its herd. And both of those things, the protective side of things and the comforting side of things, God says, are mine that I give to you. And if I am actively protecting you and prodding, poking, guiding, and bringing you back into my fold, what is there to fear? What do I have to dread What do I have to be scared of? What kind of boogeyman is out there that can penetrate and get through God's defense of love for his people? There isn't. There isn't anything that can penetrate God's love to harm your soul. Nothing. And as Jesus says and as Paul says, you know, they can destroy the body. Our bodies are dying every day. That happens. But what cannot be destroyed, what cannot die, what cannot decay, what cannot be stolen is our relationship with Christ. The fact that we have been made new in his name and we have all the hopes and promises of his people attached to every single one of us. We are his, and he anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I don't know if you've ever had any enemies. I mean, I don't, I don't think we have lots of real, uh, scary, um, menacing enemies. I mean, there are people who do bad things, yes, uh, but as a general rule, we don't live life thinking about our enemies. Uh, We we tend to have some insulated protection from outside foreign enemies, although that's never a guarantee. But what God says here is, I establish such a good relationship with you that in the midst of enemies, you can sit down and enjoy a meal. Now, there are very few times that I will refuse to eat. I think that's most of us. But it's really difficult for me to eat when I'm nervous. 
and very difficult to eat, especially if I'm kind of scared and nervous. Now, some people may go to their default, I need ice cream and chocolate when something like that happens. But in general, when we're nervous, when we're scared, it's really hard for us to eat and to think about eating. We, we just have butterflies in our stomach, knots in our stomach, and we don't want to eat. But God says, I have such a relationship with you, and you have such a relationship with me, that in a moment where you are dining with sworn enemies, there's peace. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't matter if they're your, your nemesis, if you're a superhero. It's okay. Because my safety is not dependent upon my strength, my will, my effort. My safety is not dependent upon their scariness or their threatening or their evil. My safety is predicated and promised and protected by God's Word. By His character. By His power. By His commitment to us. Nothing can penetrate that love. Nothing. And so there is this blessed moment where I'm not just at peace in my heart and I'm not scared of life, but there is this sense of I can be surrounded by my enemies and it's just like I'm having a feast. It's not a big deal. And in fact, he goes on and says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. This is strange imagery for us in our culture today, the anointing of people with oil, which basically meant taking a pitcher of oil and pouring it over someone's head. While that's uncommon for us, and we would find that unusual, and we would think that that is kind of maybe even dirty, in the Old Testament, and especially in the Mediterranean culture as this was, that was not just common, but it was an amazing thing. It demonstrated to everyone around that this person is blessed. This person has a special position in whatever kingdom they may be in. They have a special position to the host. The host would pour someone, uh, pour that pitcher of usually olive oil over someone's head, and that person was set apart as someone special, someone who had a unique role, who was protected by the king. We see David anointed with oil. We see prophets anointed with oil. We even see in the New Testament the Holy Spirit anointing the church. Protecting them. Showing His blessings. Showing their position. Showing that they are special. Showing that they are part of the king's people in a unique way. In a priestly way. In a special way people way. And David says that's what God does for us as a good shepherd. Even in the midst of enemies where there could be fear and worry and anxiety and uncertainty, there is incredible comfort, incredible peace, and incredible blessing knowing God has overwhelmed us. Overwhelmed us. Being overwhelmed can be good or bad. Being overwhelmed with scary things is bad. Being overwhelmed with your mind racing to what might, what if, being overwhelmed with that is, 
is not healthy. It's not good. It's not what God has set in place for us as his children. He wants us to be overwhelmed, but overwhelmed by him. Overwhelmed with thoughts of him. Overwhelmed with his promises. Overwhelmed with so many of the things that he's done that we have no room to even entertain for a moment that while I'm being overwhelmed with God's graces, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of darkness, the shadow of death. It doesn't matter because I am too overwhelmed. If you uh, remember back to the old War of the Worlds by Orson Welles, the movie, they have in one scene, and I'm not spoiling it because it's been out for like 70 years, so if you haven't seen it by now, you should. Uh, but that one scene where the Martians are pretty much end-all, be-all, destroying life here on Earth. The pastor gets up, takes his Bible across the battlefield and recites Psalm 23. And there is a conviction on his face, not that he's not going to die, not that somehow God's going to perform a miracle and save him, but he walks down that battlefield, faces the enemy that is destroying the earth, and has a confidence about him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, of death, of evil, of trials, of tribulations, of pains, of uncertainties, he walks with certainty that his God protects him. Even though we may die in this age, even though we may suffer trials and hardships and pains in this day, ultimately, we are safe. And that is exactly what God brings in in the very last verse of Psalm 23, this idea of his promise and the benefit we receive from that promise. Because David says in verse 6, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Call it a pie in the sky. Call it a, I'm ignoring reality and I'm just focusing on the future. I, I don't care if you tell me that I'm too heavenly minded, that I'm no earthly good at this second. Because this promise is our promise that will never, ever be changed. It does not matter your circumstances. It does not matter what lemon's life is throwing at you. This promise is ours. Notice, David says, I have confidence that God's goodness, our good shepherd's goodness, and love follow me. As I move through this valley, as I move through, through this uncertainty, as I take on the next day that I don't know what's going to happen, I know that his goodness and his love are there with me. That doesn't change. I don't know how much better off life can be than that. If you gave me a thousand wishes, I would wish for this to be my reality every single day, that I walk 
knowing that God loves me and his goodness follow me. There is no greater safeguard against worry, fear, uncertainty, and the unknown than knowing a God who knows, who loves, and who is good. See, our God could have all the love in the world, and if he wasn't good, that would be scary. If he was all-powerful and not good, we're in trouble. But he is both all-powerful, all-loving, and all-good. So all of his love towards us is good. All of his power towards us is good. All of his promises towards us is go are good. It's all good. And that goodness and that love, David says, follows us all the days of our life. Every day. God doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't take a break. He doesn't get lazy. He doesn't get preoccupied. He doesn't get distracted. He does not have ADD. He sees us, knows us, is interactive with us, and is totally committed in seeing each and every one of us become more and more like his son, working and chiseling on our character so that we would be a people of hope in a world that is scared. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the future promise of our eternity with God. We're going to dwell in his house forever. What will that mansion in the sky look like? I don't know. We have some descriptions in Revelation that this heavenly city, this new Jerusalem and new earth are just going to be jeweled and gorgeous. More than what we could have expected. It's like diamonds and jewels and precious gold and silver adorning everything. It's just going to be brilliant. All reflecting God's glory. The power of the one who sits on the throne and his son who was the Lamb, sacrificed, now risen and ruling and reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we will be in His company. We will see His face as He truly is. No longer will there be a veil. No longer will we have to be hidden. No longer will we have to hide our face over the brilliance of His holiness. We can behold Him and see Him as he is. And that will last forever and ever and ever. And all of this, this whole psalm, should not just be a psalm that we remember at a funeral and brings us comfort, but this is a psalm that we should remember every day and it should remind us and convince us to trust God when circumstances seem broken. When life seems not to go according to plan, when things are really unnormal, this psalm should remind us day in and day out, he is my good leader, my good shepherd, my good protector, my good provider, my good father. 
In Psalm 28, verse 7, the psalm says, and another beautiful psalm about God's just goodness and grace that David writes. He says in verse 7 of Psalm 28, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to Him. There's that protection. There's that sense of, I'm okay as I go through this. It's okay if the sound is loud and the wind sounds loud and the lights grow dim and it seems dark and scary going through that tunnel of that event. It's okay. Because in that, I'm taking through that entire moment safe. And so are you. God is your shield. God is your strength. You can trust in Him. You can rest in Him. He is our help. And I love how David ends this psalm, or ends this verse in Psalm 28, verse 7. He talks about singing praises. I don't know what other response you can have than praising God and shouting hallelujah and amen to His name than knowing you are safe. From the fears that grip the common man in the world, you are protected. You are loved greatly and deeply by a good God. So, what can we take home from this today that we can work on the rest of today and tomorrow? First is, God is our shepherd. He guides and protects us in any valley we face in this life. Doesn't matter what the valley is. Doesn't matter what the tunnel is. Doesn't matter what surrounds us and tries to engulf us and tries to make you scared and hidden. It doesn't matter what it is. God is still your shepherd. He still guides and protects. He still comforts. He still promises peace as we follow him. Don't follow the world. Don't follow the fears. Don't follow the guessing games of what might be if. Follow Him. And in following Him, we have a place where we can rest beside still waters. We have a place where our soul can get refreshed. We have a place where we can basically, as it is, lie down in that beautiful green mountainside and take in all of God's creation, knowing we're safe. And secondly, in Psalm 119, verse 71, very long chapter, longest in the Bible, David says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Maybe it's a good thing that we face these valleys in our life that we go through. Because every time we go through a valley, every time we go through a tunnel, every time we see and feel the world's fear and worry enter in, it gives us a moment to remember. No, my God is good. My God is loving. My God brings me blessings and protection. I need to follow him. That's not a bad thing to be reminded of. And if it takes difficult valleys to go through to remind us of that, then bring those valleys on. Because I would much rather walk through this life knowing that I have a good shepherd than trying to get through this life 
by myself, grabbing the bull by the horns, and trying to do it myself. Because there's no peace in that. You lose your strength, you lose your will, and eventually you will succumb to the fear that grips everyone else. But not so with the one who has God as his shield and comfort. And then lastly, we need to learn to trust God in our times of struggle and weakness. If that's, if that's the big thing we get out of this, it's a good thing to get out of it. It's a good thing to be reminded how much we need God during our times of struggle and our times of weakness. Yes, we need Him all the time. We do, and sometimes when life is easy, we then tend to forget about Him. We then tend to think everything is okay, I don't need to pray. We need to, and sometimes He brings in these tough times so that we would be reminded, I need Him. I need Him. You need Him. And He's told us, I'm here. Every day, every step you take, I am here. He is a good shepherd to us. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for such a beautiful psalm that resonates with us every time we hear it. Father, we can't be too familiar with your word and with passages like this that just fill us with life and encouragement. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this psalm. Help us to walk in this truth. Remind us to keep our eyes on you and not the world. Remind us to take our direction from you and not the hysteria of the culture. Lead, guide, nurture us because you are good in all that you bring into our lives. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. want to simply remind you that next week we are celebrating communion. Doesn't matter what you have at home to use. Make sure you prepare that a little bit ahead of time. I'll give you a minute or so to get it at the end of the service. And then we're going to take it together and praise God and thank Him for His goodness in our lives. Take care until next week. Check social media and watch out for that email on how we're going to be opening up as we move into this new transition. Take care and God bless.